Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So if you're a rehab therapy service trying to break into the assisted living facility marketplace, they've got a great webinar for you. Next Tuesday, April 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ellen Strunk, physical therapist, owner of Rehab Resources and Consulting, is NetHealth's guest panelist discussing Rehab Therapy Outpatient Services 101, how to expand into the home or assisted living facility. Ellen lectures nationally on the topics of pharmacology for rehab professionals, exercise and wellness for older adults, coding, billing, documentation for therapy services, and the importance of functional outcomes to value-based payment. Head over to nethealth.com slash litzy to sign up. As a bonus, when you sign up for the webinar, type litzy, that's L-I-T-Z-Y, in the comment section of the registration and show up to the webinar and NetHealth is arranged to buy lunch for your office. Once again, that's nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y. So head over there and sign up today. Now, we are in a new month. If you missed last month, the month of March in the podcast was all about running, running injury and rehab. We also had a great running roundtable discussion with Chris Johnson, Ellie Summers, uh, Tom Goom, and Julie Weeb. If you missed it and you want to watch it because it was really incredible, so much great information, such great feedback from everyone, just go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and we'll have a link there where you can watch that roundtable from last week. Now, this month, the month of April, is all about cancer survivorship and oncology physical therapy. So what role do physical therapists play in the uh, cancer journey of a patient? And today, I have two incredible guests. They are the co-founders of Survivorship Solutions, physical therapists Jillian Schmidt and Kristen Carroll. And like I said, we're going to be talking about cancer survivorship. A little bit more about Kristen. She has been in clinical care and leadership roles within the Boston and Hartford healthcare systems for over 30 years. For over a decade, she has focused on elevating her oncology-specific practice with close, that's K-L-O-S-E, coursework in lymphedema, oncology, and breast cancer rehabilitation specialty courses through Julia Osborne and the APTA, Academy of Oncologic Physical Therapy and earned completion certificates in chemotherapy, biotherapy, agents, and radiation therapy from the Oncology Nursing Society, and she is planning to sit for the 2021 Oncologic Certified Specialist Examination. A little bit more about Jillian. She is a licensed physical therapist with over 20 years of experience in patient care, clinic development, management, and consulting within the fields of oncology, orthopedics, pediatrics, ergonomics, and corporate health. She studied biochemistry and business management at the University of Texas at Austin and received a Bachelor of Science degree in Health Sciences and a Master's degree in Physical Therapy from the University of Texas Medical Branch in 2001. So like I said, in 2016, Kristen and Jillian founded Cancer 
Ah, survivorship solutions, an education and consultancy firm dedicated to supporting clinicians and healthcare organizations in implementing high-quality cancer rehab and survivorship services. We talk about it in the podcast. They have an amazing, amazing educational opportunity for ever, anyone listening, anyone interested in treating patients with cancer, which, spoiler alert, 100% of PTs will be treating people who have or have had cancer in the past. So it really behooves us to get better at it. So today, Kristen and Jillian talk about the prevalence of cancer, the importance of competency in cancer rehab for all rehab clinicians, and compiling educational resources from leaders in the field. We talk about when cancer rehab should start, uh, that learning is not enough. You want to hear about the value of mentorship their community of clinicians, and that is all on today's episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. So a huge thanks to Jillian and Kristen, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Kristen and Jillian, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you guys on. We're happy to be here. Thank you so much for having us on today. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about cancer survivorship. This is something that I've spoken to one of your colleagues, Dr. Nicole Stout, with. But before we get talking about that, what I would love to know is how the two of you came together to create Survivorship Solutions, the how and the why behind it. Um, so Kristen and I knew each other before we started the company together for a couple of years. We, we previously worked for another organization and had similar roles, and that was to implement cancer rehabilitation service lines within healthcare systems. And um, Kristen and I really connected during that time and we really enjoyed working with each other. Um, we valued a lot of the same things. And so once we left that uh, situation or once that situation uh, of our, you know, once us working together no longer happened for that particular company, we decided that we were great together and that we would um, we needed to continue the work. And so we started Survivorship Solutions together. And Jillian and I are both physical therapists and I have a special, I've been working with oncology patients for over 12 years. And even though we're both PTs, we both kind of had different soapboxes and what we were so passionate about. And um, Jillian has a love and just a savvy for business and growth. And, um, you know, I just love to educate and things like that. So together, you know, just our, our strengths and our passions just forged us forward to create this, this company to, to continue to help healthcare organizations, but also individual clinicians that, that really just needed to get more information on how to take care of people with cancer. Yeah, and that was my next question is where, where was the gap that, what was the gap that you guys saw that you were like, hey, if we can put our heads together and create this, we're really going to help fill that gap. Right. Well, you know, for me personally, it was, um, I was not a cancer rehabilitation therapist for most of my, my clinical career. I was in orthopedics and I, the, the opportunity to begin working in cancer rehabilitation actually came about, uh, it was pretty unexpected. I, I received a phone call from a, a very good friend of mine, also a therapist that I went to school with. And, um, I'd been in practice for 15 years and she said, you know, I think that this would be a really good opportunity for you. You, you know, you, you've married sort of this business and I, cause I had opened clinics and I had 
I'd done a lot of the, the business part of it. And, um, but I really loved clinical practice and, but, and I also had a very personal situation occurring in my life where one of my loved ones was experiencing, um, the cancer journey and really having a lot of issues and a lot of problems, um, that I was really familiar with, but, uh, you know, like weakness and, and numbness and th things that physical symptoms, but I was just kind of washing through this lens and like, all right, well, that's like what I do every day, but why isn't somebody helping him? So it was all these three things that kind of came together and um, took me out of my orthopedic world pretty quickly and, and thrust me into the cancer rehabilitation um, world, which I had, I mean, admittedly been very naive of until that happened. Mm -hmm. And Kristen's we, I had totally been finished. <laughs> Yeah, and I was working, you know, in an outpatient center and um, had surgeons come to ask if I would become competent to learn how to take care of breast cancer patients because they were breast cancer surgeons. So I went to a lymphedema course and I learned all about lymphedema. And then I came back and I saw a breast cancer patient. And I was all excited to use my new education that I just learned. And she didn't have lymphedema. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do with her? I mean, I learned all about lymphedema. Isn't that cancer rehab? Isn't and so Julie and I learned quickly that um, in order to really become competent to take care of people with cancer, you had to travel around the country at your conferences and online and, and do all sorts of things to, to get there. But a lot of it was just disease specific, like just breast cancer. So how do you learn how to take care of everybody that has all different kinds of cancers and all the different problems? Um, so we felt it. It really was our ethical responsibility as we were working with healthcare organizations to make sure that if we were going to implement a program, we had to make sure the team really was confident and competent to do that. So, um, so we created education to go along with that implementation. Yeah, excellent. And, and I will say that people who, like I know people who have been diagnosed with cancer, and as of yet, only like two of them uh, have gone to physical therapy. One of which was because I said, you have to go to physical therapy. Mm -hmm. She had a double mastectomy. And I said, tell your doctor that you want to go to PT afterwards. And she was like, but the doctor gave me this list of exercises. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 no. Tell your doctor you want to go to see a physical therapist after this. And, and she, afterwards, uh, she was like, yeah, I, uh, I definitely needed a PT. And so yeah. I think the issue here, and we'll get into that, uh, we'll get into this conversation in, in a little bit, but you know, the issue here is that cancer is not just one type of cancer. Cancer is not just a, what you're seeing on the outside, but there are physical changes on the inside as well. And that's where being a knowledgeable physical therapist on, on the rehab of people diagnosed with cancer is so important. But let's talk about cancer in particular. So cancer itself can affect anyone. True or false? Absolutely Correct. true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Certainly. And, and so let's talk a little bit about the, the sort of prevalence of cancer and what that means for us. So sure. well, right now we have almost 17 million cancer survivors in the country. And so that is all different ages, you know, doesn't matter which sex, all different kinds of cancers. Definitely cancer is not discriminant. And so you talk about the gap in care and uh, Andrea Chevelle is, is kind of huge in our cancer rehab world and does research. And 
um, you know, she talks about that 83% of general cancer survivors have problems that really require rehabilitation and take it to the other end where women, um, sorry, excuse me, general cancer um, metastatic or stage four, they have up to 92% of problems. So obviously somebody that has a chronic cancer condition is going to have more and more problems because they are, you know, receiving more and more treatments. And so the percentage of people that actually get rehabilitation is only about 30%, um, according to, to her um, study. So that's, you know, that's a huge gap in care, whether it's 83% of general cancer survivors or the 92% of our metastatic um, breast cancer patients, that's a huge gap with, with 30%. Um, so when we're looking at that, if you're young and you're diagnosed with cancer and you have treatment, you're going to grow up to have perhaps problems, you know, as you get older. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these people are inside our clinics already. And um, sometimes it's a little tiny past medical history that's checked, you know, on their, on their form and we see cancer, but yet we're a little bit afraid sometimes to ask a little bit about what that is. And, and even I do that when I'm in a private room with my cancer patients and I'm treating them, I have no problem talking about what they went through, but I'm in an open clinic and I see that little word cancer. Sometimes I, I will say, Oh, well, you had cancer. What, what kind did you have? And, you know, but we really have to have these conversations. What kind of cancer did you have? What kind of treatment did you have? Because it really can impact the treatment that you are providing your patient, whether they're a pediatric patient, a, you know, an inpatient, an outpatient, an adult, it really doesn't matter what the setting is. It really could, depend on what your care plan is going to be. And Karen, yeah. you, you had mentioned that um, you said, you asked, can anybody get cancer and can this affect everybody? And, and absolutely. And I think what's, what's really interesting is that healthcare professionals, you know, myself included, we don't necessarily automatically think about like the, the functional consequences of having cancer, even though we see it. Um, we're so, we have this new normal instilled in us uh, that we sort of expect cancer patients to not have normal function or not be doing well. And it just really to be part of what the expectation is once you get that diagnosis. And, and even me, even somebody that has worked in therapy for a long time and having a person very close to me experiencing physical symptoms, I still, it was almost like a, it was just sort of like a out of uh, you know, like it didn't really make sense to me um, why he wasn't getting it, but it wasn't sort of this, well, this is a person that needs to have therapy. Um, that connection wasn't, wasn't quite there yet. And I think that that's true for a lot of clinicians. They say, well, we, we don't see cancer patients, but, I, but what, what, what Chris and I like to say is, well, yes, actually you have, and you do you see them probably every day on your schedule. There's such a high percentage of people that get cancer at this point that if you're seeing any population, an ortho population or a neuro population or whatever in your clinic, you have seen patients that have either a current or a previous diagnosis of cancer. And so you are, these patients are coming into our clinics already and people are just not really making that connection. Yeah, I remember when I spoke to Nicole, she said one thing that all physical therapists have to keep in mind is 100% of physical therapists in at some point in their physical therapy career will see someone with cancer. Absolutely. Probably this week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it's not when or, or it's, I mean, like, it's very, very soon because patients also don't necessarily 
think about the fact that they have a cancer diagnosis and it's something that they really need to kind of put front put front and center when they are going to rehab. So maybe they've had a knee replacement or they've had some other traditional rehabilitation problem like a back, like back pain or whatever they go to PT for. Um, and they had that, that pesky, you know, cancer diagnosis 10 years ago, that colorectal cancer, but they, they got it and they got the surgery. But so they don't really, but you know what, those things that happened 10 years ago with that diagnosis and the medications that that patient had and the treatments that that patient had are actually going to impact the way that they heal in, in physical therapy. And so I, I think the patient doesn't understand the, the significance of it. And then the clinician doesn't really understand the, mm-hmm. the significance of it. And it makes a huge impact in how well that patient um, is going to, you know, do and how, and, and, and the course of their therapy, it really should kind of direct the course of their therapy and, um, and predict how well they're going to be able to, you know, certain, certain things that should be done in therapy and certain things that should really not be done in therapy should be based on that. And something that, uh, as you're saying all this, that kind of struck me is that in physical therapy, you know, we are expected to have the competency to treat people with a total knee replacement, low back pain, uh, uh, post-stroke, MS, but you guys have traveled around the country. You've spoken to many physical therapists. Is that clinical competency in cancer rehab uh, there amongst the physical therapy profession? And this is a silly question, but is it essential? I do. I think it's, it was definitely not there. I mean, there are therapists that are very skilled at providing lymphedema treatments, and there are therapists that are very skilled in targeting certain kinds of breast cancer. But I think one of the things that we think, what I think about is that the things that people going through cancer treatment, it's kind of like an anticipated decline, right? Like we kind of know that they're going to feel like crap when they're going through chemotherapy. And I think that maybe and I had this assumption that once their chemotherapy is over, they're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the providers think that as well. We kind of know that they're not going to do well during treatment. What I don't think that a lot of people know is that they don't do well even after treatment and that six months and years later, they have these effects. And because there are one in eight women that get breast cancer and there are so many men that get prostate and other lung cancers, our, our breast cancer women and our prostate men have to take medications sometimes for five and 10 years that affect their musculoskeletal systems. That affects every ortho therapist if they're treating these people that are in their clinics. So there may be a general awareness, but I think there it's kind of pick and choose. Like you may get a lung cancer patient that you're treating for weakness. You don't have to treat weakness. You don't have to treat balance issues, mm-hmm. but you may not really understand what the chemo regimen did to the patient and why they're having those. Mm-hmm. So I think explaining the why around it helps to decrease the fear that some therapists have of treating because I sure was afraid when I saw my frail, bald patients walking in, I was really afraid I was going to hurt them and I didn't feel safe to take care of them because I had one lymphedema course yeah. and I wasn't. Um, so we kind of wing it, right? Because there's not really many resources out there. Right, right. And that's, I actually went back into fair. my schoolwork and looked and um, to see what oncology um, criteria, like a uh, curriculum that we had gone through when I was a student. 
And um, I mean, it was so minimal. It was less than a week. It was one core, like it, within one class that wasn't oncology focused. It was, I mean, the amount of information that clinicians were getting in school and professional um, programs was very, very minimal. And of course, that's more than 20 years ago when I was in school. But even now, um, even now, I would say that there is a huge percentage of, um, of clinicians that take our course who are new grads. They just got out of school. So we know and we've you know, communicated with them, talked to them. This is not in their curriculum. They are not learning this in school. Otherwise, they would not be seeking out some of this information that they know is really important anyway. Um, and, and that's physical therapists, occupational therapists, anybody that's in allied health or are seeing patients really needs to, they need to have this foundational basic knowledge that makes them safe and makes them competent uh, to care for these patients. Um, and so it is a little, I, I'm sure the education maybe at some point will catch up, but it hasn't yet. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it also depends on what's on the MPTE, but that's a whole other thing. And we yeah, won't get into well, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, we won't get into that, but we okay, know that, that certainly exists when it comes to educational uh, curriculum in schools. Yes. At any rate, I digress. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about when should rehab, physical therapy, occupational therapy start? So someone is diagnosed with cancer, when do they start their rehab? Their rehabilitation starts at diagnosis, and that's when the American Cancer Society and so many of our, our industry regulators recommend that it start. And it start from diagnosis all the way from end of life or end of care. And, you know, we compare this to kind of our other service lines, but, you know, if somebody's having a knee replacement, they're coming in for prehab, right? They're coming in for education, they're coming in for strengthening before they do that. And it's, it's no different for a patient with cancer. They need to be armed with what they are going to go through, not only the education to help decrease their fear, but also the problems that they are going to incur, understanding that we have the skill set and the tools to be able to support them throughout that journey. And I think the other thing that rehab teams don't realize is that general clinicians that don't have specialties really can treat the scope of most of the impairments that people have. Um, just like we all can, um, you know, balance and, and numbness and tingling and strength issues and fatigue and just, you know, the list goes on and on. But if you have a pelvic health issue or if you have lymphedema, then we triage to our, to our specialists. And, and best practice really um, dictates that when you're going to begin any type of a treatment or any type of, or incur any type of a, um, or undergo any type of surgery or anything like that, it's really important to establish a baseline. And in cancer, there's really, it's, it's very important to establish a baseline because we know pretty, pretty well that cancer treatments are going to cause problems. They're going to exacerbate existing problems. And so if we can, at diagnosis, capture what that baseline is for that patient and monitor and survey that patient and make sure that that patient is not um, there, that their existing, their preconditions or existing uh, deficits or impairments are not getting worse or that new ones are not popping up. That really is best practice. And because we know that if we can see something pop up, you know, and catch it immediately, it's going to be a lot easier to take care of and to recover from or to prevent even um, than if it's something that we don't, 
you know, that we don't look for until after treatment is over. Maybe, you know, mm -hmm. the patient is having a lot of functional problems that are really obvious. If you just wait till then, it's going to be a lot harder to intervene. And it's going to, I mean, and this is, it's going to be a lot more expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, something that may take just an education and maybe one visit in, in rehabilitation from the very onset and the very beginning, um, even something, you know, just as you're going to have this, you're going to have a lumpectomy, you're going to guard, you, you know, let's make sure that when this happens, you're going to continue to do range of motion within a certain, you know, limitation, but that the patient knows that that can later prevent like three months of a frozen shoulder, right? I mm -hmm. mean, like we know that this, these things happen all the time and it's easy to just kind of get in there from the beginning. So best practice is, is at the very beginning um, at diagnosis, patients should definitely be um, at least screened for impairments and um, informed that rehabilitation is part of their medical care. Um, they should expect it. Pa patients should walk in knowing that rehabilitation is part of their medical team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this and is and this is something that Nicole Stout talks a lot about in her research. It's called the prospective surveillance model. And that is, you know, screening patients before each intervention. So we know kind of what we call each medical touch point. So whether they're having surgery or chemotherapy or radiation, really being screened before each of those interventions. So like Jillian said, we can kind of pick up on those impairments when they're acute in nature. That's really important. And so let's talk about... Uh, cancer rehabilitation education. I think we've already established that physical therapists do not get an adequate amount of cancer uh, rehabilitation education in school, and you may not get it on the job either, depending on where you work. How do we educate physical therapists in a robust manner so they can help with these patients? And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. If you're a rehab therapy service trying to break into the ELF marketplace, NetHealth has a great webinar on Tuesday, April 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Ellen Strunk, physical therapist and owner of Rehab Resources and Consulting. She will be discussing Rehab Therapy Outpatient Services 101, how to expand into the home or assisted living facility. Head over to nethealth.com slash litzy to sign up. As a bonus, when you sign up for the webinar, type litzy in the comment section of the registration Show up to the webinar and NetHealth will buy lunch for your office. Again, that's nethealth.com slash L-I-T-Z-Y. Well, I think that things are kind of catching up here. Um, it's been established that cancer rehabilitation is important and it needs to be part of um, a cancer patient's um, cancer care. And we have national regulatory agencies and um a different sort of top level um, drivers that are encouraging and really requiring organizations to provide cancer rehabilitation. So we have a lot of these companies that are starting to recognize, all right, our people that are in-house already need to be doing this. And then from the clinician's perspective, and, and I can say this as a, as a physical therapist, if, if my boss had come to me in my outpatient clinic and said, okay, we're going to have a bunch of oncology patients come in the doors now um, because there's these guidelines and we're going to see this influx of patients and you guys are going to be treating these patients. I would have been like, okay, like I would have been really nervous about it. Um, and so we, we still sort of are getting that response um, 
as organizations are starting to implement some of these policies that are requiring that their organizations um, provide these services. So we're also getting this sort of searching from these clinicians, like, all right, I'm gonna see cancer patients. And when I go online, I see like a billion different CEU courses for different types of, I mean, I can be different, a specialist in this or a specialist in that, or I can take this or I can take that. What I really wanna know is how can I be safe uh, to see these patients coming through the door? I don't, uh, maybe cancer is not there and you know what, they, what they're interested in, they don't wanna specialize in it, that's fine. And so they don't wanna spend thousands of dollars on specialties and weekends and, and all, but they do wanna be safe and they wanna know. And so Chris and I kind of came at it from that perspective, like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna say, we're gonna get more referrals into your clinics because of these guidelines, because it's the right thing to do, because research says that cancer patients need it. Um, but what's really important to us is that your clinicians feel competent, they feel safe. How can we create the education that your, your clinicians are gonna feel like they can have anybody land on their, their schedule and that's gonna be fine? Because that's gonna make them feel comfortable and what that's gonna do is gonna make their bosses feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. le the leadership is gonna know that their entire rehab team has a competency and that anybody can kind of come through there and that their service is going to be very similar from facility and location to location. Um, so we, that's kind of where we started with, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't want to make a course that was going to make somebody a specialist, but those are out there and they're awesome. And we work with all those people that make those courses. So we know they're awesome. We wanted to create something that was, um, respectful of somebody's time and their money and and really want to just pull the most excellent parts of all those specialties into one spot so that a therapist could go through it and be pretty confident and their leadership could be pretty confident that they were um that they were going to be able to take care of these patients as they come through the doors yeah yeah Kristen and then I I was live and then I was living in the cancer rehabilitation world so I knew a lot of the experts and the leaders in the field from just attending their courses and conferences like Nicole, Nicole Stout and Julia Osborne and, and, you know, just all of these amazing people that really aligned with the same mission and vision that Julia and I both had to spread this education. And, but what was missing was a comprehensive online platform. And, you know, I, I'm sitting for the specialty exam um, in February, but I'm an expert in certain things, but I certainly am not the expert on everything. And so Jillian and I said, you know, when we're learning, we want to learn from our role models, right? Our peers and our colleagues who we respect in the field. So we went out and we asked them, you know, will you help us create this education? And they all said, absolutely. It's really important. And why it's important is because we have to get it in the hands of people quickly. I, it took me 12 years to kind of get all this information. We don't have that kind of time because we have almost 17 million people that need this care right now. And these patients are in the clinics and, and they need it. You know, they're, they're just people that want to do marathons and, you know, raise their children and go to school and do all the things that mm -hmm. everybody else does. Mm -hmm. So how do we get it into the hands of people? So we went out and they created this, this education. And then we went and got it approved recently for a continuing education credit. So it really is an amazing compilation of education that spreads a blanket over all different kinds of cancer disease types and all the impairments. But it isn't just for somebody that wants to be competent and confident, because I went through it myself and I learned a lot of information and I've been doing this for over 12 years. Mm -hmm. So it really is also for clinicians that 
are interested in cancer rehabilitation that work in cancer rehabilitation, mm-hmm. but are also experts because they will learn about a lot of things that there are no courses for, mm-hmm. like pharmacology. There are no courses for pharmacology right, right there, you know, out there right now for to learn from. It's really and, for the whole team. Yeah. Yeah. And so once, so let's say uh, as a physical therapist, I go through through this course. I'm confident. I'm competent. And is it like, okay, thanks. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm good now. I don't need anything else. So what happens after this sort of, ed- you have this experience um, with you guys and you're, you know, relatively confident and competent. Um, is, is that where the learning ends? No, I, I really love that you asked that question, actually, because this is what I, this is my soapbox. You know, we all, all of our presenters for, for our course, they all have their soapboxes. They're all specialists about what they think is the most important. That's why our education is awesome. We, you know, we went to the specialist. We said, give us 30 minutes, you know, or, or whatever that you think is the most important part of your specialty that you think all general people should know. And then they, they bring it in and that's what's in the course. So you kind of get the best of everything and, and what the specialists actually think the general therapists really need to know about certain things. Um, but we did recognize absolutely that once you have this, this acumen or you, this information about, you know, cancer rehabilitation and you have got to be able to communicate with others that have the same information that, that are doing that are in the same world, because even though there are going to be a lot of patients that are starting to come in in the future right now, it's a little bit of a small world. It's kind of a, a small world in regards to who is in cancer rehabilitation. And we know this because we go to the conferences and we see the people that come to the different lectures and the presenters. And we know that this is kind of a small world because we see the, a lot of the same people over and over again. Um, and, and so, the education is really important, obviously, for Kristen and I. We have it updated constantly by the presenters. Each one of them is responsible for their segment so that we know if legislation changes, if there's evidence that comes out, something happens where their presentation or their part of our education needs to be updated. That's going to happen pretty, pretty much in real time. But how do we answer our students' questions later? How do we grow their interest or their confidence beyond just an online course? Mm-hmm. And the way that Kristen and I have been doing that is, you know, we work with clients and, and we've sort of built this community within our own clients that they, they reach out to each other all the time and, and communicate in that way. They know they've got other people that are doing the same thing, implementing the same types of um, interventions or screenings or things like education. And so they can connect with each other. And that's great for those clients. Um, but we've really recognized that there is, um, there is a need for a community where people can really discuss their patients discuss their experiences, discuss their education and grow from there. And so that's actually something that we're working on right now really hard. Um, and we, we already, you know, it's rolled out for our clients right now. So it's just a matter of being able to make it more of a public um, mm-hmm. forum where people can, they, they've got this, they've had the education. So they kind of are speaking the same language, at least at a bare minimum. And then they can um, discuss and communicate. And what's nice about it is that we've got, all of our partners who have created our course, like Nicole Stout and Mary Lou Galantino, and some of these others who are very reputable, well-known, that created part of our course for us, and they're all in. They're like, heck yeah, we're gonna be part of this conversation. We wanna be part of this community. And so our vision, of course, is that we can have um, 
discussion groups and different opportunities where people can get their questions answered about either about the education or applying that that education to real life scenarios. How can they get that feedback and, and that camaraderie that they're going to need to feel even more confident um, in this industry? That's why we have great relationships is that they all want to do this. They all know this community is important and it's not a big ask. It's not like, Hey, can you talk to a bunch of therapists that really think this is important They're, I mean, they're, they're all in it. They're all in. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, being in an Island is, is kind of scary. And like you mm -hmm. said, you take that education and then you go back into your clinic or your place. And um, for people that are working in rural communities, they may be the only person that is taking this education. And um, we're all really busy people in our work lives and our home lives. And I think one of the hardest things for me as a clinician and a business owner is, what do I need to know right now? You know, there's so much research that comes out. And so that's how we also wanted to support with, with workshops and, um, you know, what is the need to know research that you need to know that's coming out today? You know, you can't afford to fly all over the country and go to all these conferences. Well, guess what? We have tidbits from all the conferences that, you know, that's out there that's pertinent to you so that you understand what's going on out there in the world without having to do that. And so it's, um, you know, it has meant so much to Jillian and I to work with all of the partners that we have. Um, all of the organizations that we work with are so passionate. We've met clinicians that are passionate. I've never met anyone that has not been exposed to cancer in some way, whether it's mm -hmm. personally, a friend, family, somebody. So everyone is connected by it. Nobody doesn't want to take care of somebody that's going through this. Mm -hmm. So it's really how do we all kind of work together to support each other that if you have questions, kind of there in a non-threatening way. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, you know, when Jillian and I first met Nicole Stout, we were, you know, at, at the combined section meeting and she was standing over there and and you know Jillian was like I'm gonna go over there and meet her I'm like no no it's Nicole Stout you know and I was so intimidated by her and because she was a big wig out yeah in the she's intimidating world. yeah yeah but she's a big you deal. go and you meet her <laughs> you go and you meet her and you learn that she has the same passion and mission and commitment to people that you do mm -hmm. and and she's so accepting and welcoming that yeah. that really went away and I felt like we had to really offer that to everybody else yeah. So that they could acknowledge that these people are, are very willing and receptive to helping. Yeah. Yeah. She's fabulous. Plus, I mean, the shoe collection. <laughs> yeah, Fashion. Just, I mean, Fashion. I mean, can we just be envious of her shoe collection? And, mm. and so, but yeah, she's, she's fabulous. And what she does for the, for the physical therapy world, oncology in particular, but I think the PT world as a whole is, is huge. Um, it is. And so, as a student, she might, people might be intimidated, right? Yeah. By, by that. I mean, we were, but I think that that's what we're trying to do is, is we're breaking down those, those barriers for our yeah. students. And we're saying, Hey, look, you know what? Your course is awesome. It's taught by an awesome person. And here's an awesome person that you can ask that question to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What a wonderful opportunity to give to your students too, to have, to have those uh, collaborations and those relationships, which in, in my, in my um, eyes, relationships are everything, they're key. And, and that's the thing for me that keeps pushing this uh, profession forward. As we wrap things up, I'm gonna ask each of you, so what would be your big takeaway uh, that you want the listeners to come away with from the talk today? I think one of the biggest things that I learned um, was actually back at CSM, 
And somebody said that as physical therapists, we are medical coordinators of care. And it is our ethical responsibility to really be able to take care of everybody that comes into our care. And he said, you know what? If you're not competent to treat everybody, get off the bus because you're bringing our profession down. You know, we have autonomy now. We can have people coming into our clinics without physician referrals. So we have to know this. Um, many, many PTs can order x-rays and things like that. So my take-home message is, if you want to stay on the bus, get competent and elevate your skill set to everything, not just cancer rehabilitation, but add that as yet another skill in your pocket so that when that patient comes in, you can either treat them or you can triage them. If a stroke patient comes into my clinic, I can evaluate them and educate them, but I might triage them somewhere else so that they get more targeted care. So that's, you know, I just want everybody to get on the bus. Yeah, awesome. Jillian? Um, well, I think my takeaway that I would provide, um, it really depends on the audience, on who is listening. So if you are a clinician or a therapist, um, like Kristen said, it really is your ethical responsibility to take care of every, every patient that comes through the door, regardless of what their past medical history is. Um, you should be able to provide the highest level of care for that patient. And as therapists, and we all know you have the heart of a therapist, you want to do the best for your patients. So if you are not confident and competent in taking care of oncology patients, my takeaway to you is get that way. There's a solution for you. Educate yourself, feel comfortable, feel confident, you take care of your patients the way you should. There's a solution for you. Um, I'm an action girl. But my takeaway for administrators and for leadership teams of your organizations is you really want to know that your team can take care of this population. And when you, do some, when you do something and you want to be sure that your team is competent, you put forth these standards and people have to meet these standards. And so my, my takeaway for them is that if you do not have something in place that is ensuring that your, your clinicians, that your rehabilitation teams are really competent in taking care of these patients, um, you need to get that way and you need to get that way pretty quick because the regulations and the, um, the requirements that are coming down from the very top levels um, nationally are requiring that you do that. Um, so it's not just an ethical thing on the clinician side. It, it really, and, and also this is a new patient population or not a, not a new patient population, but this is a patient population that um, is going to expand. We're going to see a lot more oncology patients. And so that is a, an opportunity to reach out to sort of almost a new, um, I don't want to call it a market because I don't like to call people a market, but it is, it's a new, it's a new market um, for, for those administrators and those leaders. Yeah. Um, and then the takeaway, of course, if we have patients listening or, or relatives, caregivers, um, co-survivors is what we call um, people that are in the lives of, of a person with a, a diagnosis of cancer, um, ask for it. My takeaway is that this is part of your medical care uh, you should be, if you are not, if, you're th if your oncologist or your provider is not talking to you about function and what's happening to you during your cancer journey and how that is going to be mitigated or how uh, you're going to have a rehabilitation therapist of some sort as part of your team, if somebody has not said that to you yet, ask for it because it needs to have this bottom-up push as well. Um, it seems so logical when you talk about it, um, but again, 
you know, you gotta, you gotta understand your audience and who are you talking to? What language are you speaking? Yeah, excellent. All right, so uh, before we get to where everyone can find you, I have last question. It's a question I ask everyone. And that is knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad? I would tell my younger self or anybody that, that is kind of starting out in their career and they know they're doing what they love um, to think big, think big and, and be brave and just go, just go for it. Excellent. Kristen? I think that I would tell my younger self to just, Keep being a sponge. Keep learning. Um, don't be afraid to try new things. You know, when you're starting to get burned out, try something else, which is what I did. I kind of kept jumping around and I found I was passionate about each of those things. And um, just keep learning and keep growing. And eventually you're going to find something that really wows you and really makes you change not only your career, but your, you know, your personal growth as, as well. Excellent. Very good advice all around. So now where can people find you? Where can they find the course? What's the name of the course? Give me all the details. Great. Uh, so you can find us at survivorshipsolutions.com. That's our website and our course is um, on our homepage. So they can just click, um, click on the link. They'll see the, the education and they'll see um, some of the other, you know, consulting services and things like that, that we also provide, but um, and certainly there's a contact page. Uh, they can reach out to us. We're happy to, to have a conversation with anybody. Perfect. And what about social media? Where can people find you, follow you, etc.? We are all over social media. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Oh, I'm forgetting. What's the other one? Facebook. Uh -huh. um, both personally and professionally, we're, we're both on there. So you, you can find us there. Perfect. And what, what are your handles? Our business handle is Survivorship Solutions for LinkedIn and for Twitter, it's Survivorship SOL. Perfect. Excellent. And we will have the links to all of this at the show notes for this uh, episode at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So if you want to uh, get more information on the course, follow them on social media, uh, become, if you're a physical therapist out there listening and you want to become competent and safe to treat uh, patients, uh, cancer patients, which we now know we all will at some point, then definitely check them out. So Kristen and Jillian, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having us. It's been our pleasure. Thanks, Karen. It's been fun. Thanks yep. so much. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. And a big thank you to Kristen and Jillian for kicking off our month of April, all about cancer survivorship. And of course, if you want to catch that webinar, Rehab Therapy Outpatient Services 101, How to Expand into the Home or Assisted Living Facility with NetHealth Guest Panelist, Ellen Strunk, Tuesday, April 13th at 2 p.m. Head over to nethealth.com slash litzy to sign up. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.